0: Hey, open your Bibles to 1 um, Chronicles. Chronicles. Not the Chronicles of Narnia, but Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. It's My Bible, It's uh, uh, depending on what you have, ESV, I think it's like page 431. This one's 569, somewhere around there. It's away from Romans is my point. Uh, this morning, we come to our five-year anniversary. We have uh, a lot to look back on and be thankful. And the the phrase that... I want to put over us this morning is the simple phrase, you go to watch a movie, you go see the Chronicles of Narnia, you watch the first movie installment, and it ends, if you understand the trilogy or the series, it ends with these words, the worst words in film history, to be continued. You ever watch a series finale? You thought you were watching the last episode of Lost, and it turns out they tricked you and there's one more? And you're left on the edge of your seat kind of being like, to be continued, what are we talking about here? Like, I just watched the whole thing. There's more? To be continued. It's simultaneously my favorite and least favorite words when it comes towards media. Favorite because it means there's more. Hey, Bethel, aren't we glad that there's more coming? But it also means that a lot's already happened. And when we uh, come to a 5 year anniversary celebration that we do today uh, the phrase that I want to put over uh, this passage in 1st uh, Chronicles this is the last chapter of verse uh, chapter 29 is this tag to be continued to be continued everybody just say it out loud with me to be continued we come to this anniversary weekend I was in my own study of God's word and the last chapter of 1st Chronicles David uh, sticks out to me with a way forward that we can learn from here as a church. Um, David is old. His son Solomon is young. He's the next in line to the throne. And in an act of wisdom, David gathers all of Israel together, all the leaders, all the military, all the servants, all the families, they're all together in one place. David has given his last words And he's gathered everyone to make sure that when he is gone from the scene, that everything that is to be continued is continued. It's been his dream now for years to build for God a temple, a magnificent temple that would display the glory of Israel's God. Yet God told David that he wouldn't be the one building God a a house. But that didn't stop David from planning and preparing. And at the end of his life, he gathered the nation together to instill in them this base foundational principle of all the people who are led by God. The words are to be continued. Look with me in verse uh, one of chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles. Did you guys find 1 Chronicles okay? All right, good. 1 Chronicles, this is Old Testament. It's the first time in five years I've preached out of 1 Chronicles. David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Now, Mayor Brian, I'm not making a personal reference of myself in this verse. You and me both were a little younger five years ago. <laughs> but how great it is that God has worked in this place, right? Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. But notice this. Look what he says. He says... The work is great, for the palace will not be for man, the temple, but for the Lord God. David's point in this verse is simply to tell the nation one thing, and it's that despite having a young and inexperienced king that's about to ascend to the throne, David wants to remind the people of this foundational truth that the work is great. If you write in your Bibles, if you underline things, if you can highlight in an app, underline that phrase, the work is great. Why are we stopping this morning to celebrate five years? I mean, five years, who really cares? Eh, five years, congratulations, you know. Once you've been around 25 years, then we'll talk. Why are we stopping today to look backwards? Well, the, the answer is very simple. It's because anytime the glory of God is displayed or proclaimed, the work is great. And friends, we are in a great work. Amen? Amen. Right here... Right now, you and I have a great work. David's work was building a temple, a palace for God. And why was his work great? Well, it was because this palace wasn't just going to be for man. Today, we would read this by saying, hey, this isn't my third summer home in the Hamptons, everybody. David saying, no, 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 this isn't for the king. This isn't for a man. This is for the king, for the creator of man. The work is great. Because it is for God. Israel had to be reminded that God was supreme. The glory and the dominion of their great God is what gave significance to this work. And Bethel Church, how exciting is it for us to know that we are still in a great work. Because what's being built here is not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Amen. We're in a great work here. We're in a, the work Of lives being changed by the message and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a work of the future kingdom of God, expanding and pushing back darkness and overcoming darkness with his gospel light. And on this fifth anniversary, I'm pausing here just to remind us that we are in a great work, and that great work, God has ordained, is to be continued. We're not stopping now. We're not resting here. David says the work must go on. And here we are here saying the same thing. Friends, let's celebrate and realize the work is still to be continued. Look at verse 2 of how David addresses Israel. It helps us know how we know we're in a great work. Like how would we know if we were in a great work? Many of us have been in many churches before and maybe didn't feel like it was such a great work. How do you know when you're in a great work? I'm so grateful for David because uh, his, his example shows us. Uh, the first thing that I want to show you is this, is that you know you're in a great work because you give with the attitude saying, so far as I was able, I gave. Look at what David says, verse 2. He says, so, because the work is great, the palace is not for man but for God, so I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, underline that, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for things of iron, wood for the things of wood. Besides, great quantities of angst and stones for setting antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones, and marble. David says he provided for the house of his God all of the gear, all of the stuff that would be needed to build this house. But where did David get all this stuff from? These were the spoils of war. These were the payments from other nations that they would send to David for his kingdom to have peace with them. These were the benefits of his business deals, so to speak. They were the riches of the kingdom. You say, well, David gave so far as he was able. He was able because he was the king. (laughs) And yeah, in this great work, the king stepped up first to give so far as he was able. But then David does something else. Check out verse three. He says, moreover, which is in in English, just a way to say like even more important than that. In addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of God, I gave it to the house of God. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir. It's like this mythical land where gold comes from. 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. I mean, this house is shaping up to be something spectacular, isn't it? Some of you picked a piece of property here in northwest Indiana because of what the sun does to the trees or to the angle or because it was away from everybody else, but you didn't overlay your walls with silver and gold, did you? David said, the work is great, and so I'm going to give as far as I am able but then notice this, how do you know you're in a great work? Well, he, he gives what took him a lifetime to gather. He gives what took him a lifetime to gather. And um, David says, the work is great, so I'm going to empty my savings on its behalf. We could say that David was leaving his inheritance to the temple This gift, it represented a lifetime of gathering for the next generation to uh, continue on the work for God. And today, on our fifth anniversary at Bethel Hobart Portage, I can't help but remind us and feel indebted to the people. Chad, thank you so much for recounting the history of our church for us. Because I feel it in this space right here, right now, indebted to the great people of Central Baptist Church who started Bethel in the 30s and the 70s, bought this property, and then in the 80s, the son of Myrtle and Robert Hines. He was a man named um, uh, Gerald Douglas Hines. Upon his parents' death, he donated to the church a significant portion of the finances that was used to build this here auditorium that we are enjoying right now. Here's a bulletin from... 1983 this was the day of dedication of heinz sanctuary welcome to heinz sanctuary did you know you're in heinz sanctuary i didn't know we named things uh well we don't anymore we used to and i love this even back then they didn't know what to call the church central baptist church pastor dale fisher route one that's going back a day and then look Holber, indiana portage township this has always been a problem for us Never known how to talk about where we are. I'd like to go on record formally, Brian, asking you if you can just annex us, for goodness sakes. Can we just call it Hobart or something? Just either give up or give in. I don't know. Where Christ is always central. And this is a building, this great day. It was, I looked it up. It was an unseasonably warm day, January 9th, 1983, when people had celebrated the finality of this space being erected for God. And and this space exists, why? Because someone gave what took a lifetime to gather. That's what we enjoy. The work is great because you and I have done the same thing. Because of that, for 37 years in this space, the gospel has been preached every single Sunday, barring snow. We're so grateful for the history that's here. David gave so far as he was able. He gave what took him a lifetime to gather, and then this. How do you know you're in a great work? Well, you give so that others can give. Look at verse 5. David says, for all the work to be done. He said, I gave all of this stuff for the overlaying of the walls. And then verse 5, for all the work to be done by who? By who? Craftsmen. The gold and the silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? David asked his people. I love that David knew he was the king, not an engineer. Amen. You know pastors who think they're like divine uh, interpreters of the Holy Word and AutoCAD drawings? (laughs) Like you studied Greek, not the blue lines. David knew this and he gave to the cause so that others could give to the cause. David gave in such a way where other people would be inspired to give. David gave out of his work so that others could do their work. And all of this, David set the pace for giving so that others would give as well. And in verses 6, 7, and 8, the people rally around the work. They give to the temple a freewill offering. Starting with the leaders, they give gold, silver, bronze, all the things. And verse 9, caps off this great work with this sentence. It says this, Then the people rejoiced greatly because they had given willingly with a whole heart, for they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. How do you know you're in a great work? You know because your giving produces rejoicing. Your giving produces rejoicing. Great works require great gifts, and great, great, great gifts produce great rejoicing. When all of that money and the resources flowed into the temple fund, the people lifted up their voice together in joy because it meant they had what it takes to make sure the work is to be continued. And listen, family, I'd miss this moment if I didn't take a beat just to stop and celebrate some of the giving of this church body so we could rejoice together. I'm almost out of time, and I have 300 minutes left. But can I just share some statistics with you? Yes. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> it's daily savings time for everybody else. <laughs> but I... So, so check this out. In 2015, we op- Grant opened these doors, and um, these are estimates, but they're close. Since 2015, uh, Mayor Bryan mentioned this, but we've given over 1,200 hours of volunteer service to Joanne Martin Elementary School out of people in this building right here. As best as I can tell in the past five years, women of HP have donated through Women on a Mission roughly 800 volunteer hours to local ministries and community groups making life better for the residents of Lake and Porter County. I estimate that volunteers have put in over 9,000 hours serving in Iwana. Now, 8,000 of that is Paul Strasburg, but <laughs> in the past five years, there has been over 1,000 gatherings of small groups just out of this community right here. I wanted to count how many meals have been given to one another in moments of need, but who can even know that number? This one's crazy, and without having actually time to... Continue the sermon. I don't know if I should give it, but over the past five years, we've preached God's word for 23,400 minutes, which is 390 hours. I know, you're like, but what about the gold? Well, this is crazy. Last Christmas, you here at HP alone paid down over $100,000 of medical debt in Lake and Porter County. Just this campus alone. $100,000 of medical debt paid down you've given radically towards our benevolence ministry and this campus has given generously of their finances to the tune of 2.5 million dollars over the past five years to things like more and better mission them and our general fund to see the mission of god go forward here in northwest indiana and around the world so so here's what i'm saying bethel church hp are we in a great work does that giving produce rejoicing Amen. If we stopped here in the text, though, we'd be tempted to look around and say, look what we've done. What a mistake that would be. No, if we are in a good work, it's not because we are great people, but notice what David moves to secondly. It's because we serve a great God. We're so tempted in these moments to look around and kind of pat ourselves on the back and puff our chest up a little bit. And I could share with you statistics of church plants and church campuses that never see past three years. And say well we got to five but if we are in a great work it's because of our great god look at what david says he, he turns in the midst of everyone and he prays to the lord verse 10 hey, look at the prayer that david offers it's so humbling for us it's so important for us he says blessed are you o lord god of israel our father forever and ever yours o lord is the greatness And the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Can you read that sentence with me together out loud? Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. David says, blessed are you, O Lord, forever and ever." Do you know what that means? It means that God has deemed his greatness is forever to be continued. This is what forever and ever means. How great is our God? David says that the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty of heaven and earth, they all belong to him, which means anything that you and I have comes from him. If you have anything, your car, your truck, your house, your health, your high-paying job, your low-paying job, if you have your mind, your strength, you have it, God gave it to you. How great is our God? He's so great that he gives to us whatever we need. But if you want more proof that on a day like today, it's not about us, it's all about him, David says further in verse 14, he says this incredible statement. He says, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you and all and of your own you have given. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. Oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for a building, you a house for your holy name. (laughs) It comes from your hand and is all your own. This is David recognizing that the meal that he thought he was bringing to his parents was purchased by him when really he bought it with his dad's money this is what it is. Everything that we have been given or everything that we've given to God has belonged to God in the first place. Which HP, it means every hour that we've served, every dime that we've given, every ounce of energy that we've spent loving one another, every breath that we've used to sing back praise to God, it was his in the first place. What an amazing question David asks. Who are we? Who are we? What have we done to deserve this blessing? Most of us are used to thinking that since we're the main character of life, we're the leading role of life, God owes us some provisions and some blessings. It's our right as the center of the universe. But that's not how David saw himself, nor the people of God. With the entire nation of Israel listening, uh, he asked God, Who are we that we could give to you? HP, listen, we are not leading actors, we are not even best supporting actor, nor the director nor the producer. You know who we are? We are the last on the list of credits. We are the publicists. We didn't make the movie. We didn't direct the movie. We're just here to tell everybody else that there is a movie. Our name is never the one that is in lights. In fact, we are the lights that form the name. So that others can see the name, the greatness of our God, the name of our great God. Listen, Bethel Church, it's not about us. It's all about him. And we're in a great work. We serve a great God. And lastly, this in verse 20, David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God. And the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed their heads. They paid homage to the Lord, their king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord David's example here in 1 Chronicles, it shows us that we have a great work, that we serve a great God, but finally that we respond in great worship. We respond in great worship. Hey, did you notice David did that thing that preachers sometimes do where they say, hey, everybody, do this thing, say this, and then they say it. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. yes. There you go. Yeah, David does it. He says, bless the Lord. And Israel blesses the Lord. But oh, to have a church that's like Israel who does so willingly and worshipfully and not begrudgingly, as if they were being manipulated. They bless the Lord. And look at how they bless the Lord. They bow their heads. They pay homage to the Lord and their king. Then they offered up sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. They laid them at the altar of their God. And worship is to be continued. Because God's faithfulness is to be continued as his work is to be continued. Worship is the appropriate attitude that we have in the action in the face of God's faithfulness. What do we say to a God like this except worthy are you, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and praise? And so here we are today responding in great worship. That's what today is. Today for us to say, God, you are great, we are not. It's a day for us to say, God, we're in a work that is great because you're great. It's a day for us to say, God, we give you great worship because you deserve it for all that you've done. Your your glory has always been to be continued, and it is being continued. Worship is great because God's great. So here's what we're doing today. We're just thanking God for five years of ministry that we call Bethel Hobart Portage. But today I want to ask the rhetorical question of 1 Chronicles 29. I want to ask this question. In all of this that we just went through, the dedication of David giving the the materials and the people gathering and the offering and the the prayer to the Lord of greatness and the response in worship, I want to ask you this question. Whose job is it to build this temple? Rhetorically. Because now you're like, do we respond? No. No. You might say in your mind, well, David wanted to do it. Without him, it wouldn't even be an option. He had to give the first thing. Or some might say, Solomon, your dad says you better get to work, so get to work. Or what about the people, the craftsmen and the leaders? What about them employing their skill? But whose job is it to build the temple? David reminds us that the job of building belongs to God. He is the power source by which all of the work. Can even begin in the first place he is the power source by which all the work finds its meaning and its strength he is the power source by which anything moves forward and there's an obvious illustration here in first chronicles chapter 29 to our world for how this works today i'm talking of course about electricity electricity it's not something that you take for granted unless you're from vanuatu but even then i think you have some electricity electricity. Um, Earlier I said that we are God's publicists. It's his name in lights, not ours. In fact, we are just the light bulbs. And so here I have um, light bulbs. This is a light bulb, everybody. I know they don't look like this anymore, but it's a light bulb. Edison, a long time ago, figured this out. And um, actually, as I'm talking about this, I want to encourage our ushers they are standing in the back. I want you to hold a light bulb because some of you haven't changed one of these in your entire life, but um, I'm going to pass out light bulbs to you. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead and ladies pass them out. Um, I want you to take a light bulb. There's enough for everybody. Uh, Don't break it because it's glass, okay? And like that wouldn't be cool, but I want you to hold this light bulb as I'm sharing this illustration because it'll help you see this. Um, And furthermore, I guess I should give this disclaimer. I'm a pastor, not an electrician, and I wired this up myself. But I watched YouTube. So um, there's a power switch here that keep me from being electrocuted. But I'm a little nervous about this. I first turned this on last night at my home with a stick. (laughs) As if that would help. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I've got two. Electricity, you may not know this. It's been a while since you were in science class but electricity you can wire it a couple different ways and all this is is a power source that feeds the current into whatever it is that needs to have the work done in this case it's a light bulb and a lot of people um, come to church and they think about church in the context of being connected to one another in faith and having the power of god run through us and this right here is what's called a series circuit a series circuit is when one bulb is connected to the next bulb Stay with me. If you're in sixth grade, you'll get there next year. If you're a union electrician, look the other way. A series is just where the power runs directly through each one, and then it loops back to the, the neutral or the grounding, and it um, continues on. And so this is, this is what, a, this is what a, a series looks like. And... Um, A lot of us think that when the power comes into the, yeah, thank you for applauding, it worked. Thank the Lord, I was a little nervous. And I'm still alive, tell my wife. The thing about a series system is that when you use it, everything is dependent upon whatever is next to it. And so if ever I were to remove one of these bulbs, it's like your Christmas nightmare. Because all of a sudden you take one out, the whole thing breaks. You take one out of the series and the whole thing crumbles down. I think a lot of us approach our church this way. We think about church as like, well, there's power, there somewhere, if only I can tap into it. And so the way I'm going to tap into it is by, it takes a village to build a temple. And so for me, I got to just be be plugging in. I got to be able to, to get in there because without me, you know, someone else may not get the power. And we think, you know, we come to church, it's the pastor's job to illuminate for us the scriptures. It's the worship leader's job to get our hearts inspired towards God. It's the person at the door to make me, it's their job to make me feel like I'm the center of the world today. It, it and, and if ever one of these things wasn't there and didn't work, the whole thing goes out. That's when many people go find different churches or even leave altogether. Even worse, some of us treat our families this way. We treat our families as if it's up to us to be the link to make sure our kids downstream from us have the power flowing to them so many parents live in fear that if ever the power went out in their life it would go out forever in the life of their family electricians in the house i'm coming for you right now yeah i want a hearty amen because i want you to know this is a great truth that god did not wire his church in series he wired it in something completely different it's called parallel is no one electrician am i the most qualified electrician today <laughs> parallel same light bulb different wiring because the power runs throughout every one of these bulbs has access to the power every one of these bulbs all they have to do to illuminate is to tap into the main source it is connected to one another but they are connected because they're connected to the main power run you see where i'm going with this don't you church when the power runs from the right source notice how much brighter the bulbs appear because the power isn't having to be shared from one to another and when one fails the rest don't we have a god who david says all power is in his hands All strength and glory and might is in his hands. It's kind of blinding looking at these lights, honestly. And it reminds me of this one basic principle, if we can learn this today on our fifth anniversary, that you and I are not the power, we are the bulb. I want you to hold that bulb in your hand, just look at that. That bulb represents you. There is nothing inside of you that could illuminate that bulb by yourself. Just like there is nothing inside of your life that could give any unction or forward progress to your life unless you are connected into the family of God by faith where our power comes from. Our church today is not a nation. I feel like I need to turn this off, but it's kind of a great effect. I feel like today our our church, we are not a nation that is building a temple. We are a family that is being built by God. In the New Testament, Jesus came and he said to the pharisees destroy this temple and in three days i will build it up they thought he was crazy because all they had ever known in life was the traditions of the law the passing from one to another to another in an uninterrupted chain israel judaism was represented by a series of movement of power being passed from one to the other and jesus said tear this down because there's a better way The better way is one where power runs through everyone. And I will build a temple, not just in one location. I will put it in the hearts of my people. And wherever they go, there the temple and the power will be with them. Bethel Church, what we are in this neighborhood, what we are is lights that are working the works of God here in Holbert and Portage. We are... People who by faith have come to the power source of Jesus Christ, laid down our lives and said, Lord, I am only alive because of you. Then by faith, we hook into his power. And when we hook into him, it connects us to each other. We we took um, communion not too long ago and said, one of the blessings of communion is the fact that all of us are brothers and sisters united in Him. Which means that we are not dependent upon one another, but we are connected. Which means that we are, in some sense, forever a family. If you've been at HP for any amount of time, you know family is a word that we use to describe this church. Family is a word that we use to describe the mission that we have is to build the family of God. A place where everybody's welcome no matter their flaws, a place where everybody's welcome no matter where they come from, a place where if you can come to Christ and lay down your life, he will energize you with his spirit and turn you on to be radiating his glory in the world.